0: Hi, welcome back to Honor of Kings here on Kingdom in Context. This week we're going to be looking into the apocalypse of Abraham. In John 8, Jesus made a fascinating statement that Abraham had seen his day and rejoiced. What was that about? What did Abraham see? Will the apocalypse of Abraham help us understand Jesus' cryptic statement? Stick with us. Welcome back here to Honor of Kings. Thank you for joining us again this week. I'm Sean Griffin, accompanied by my amazing co-host.
1: Ken Heiderbrecht. Hey, Sean, how's it going? Good evening, brothers and sisters. Shabbat Shalom to you guys. Hope you had a good Shabbat and um, look forward to discussing some fascinating extra-biblical content in this episode, and hopefully it'll be eye-opening and you'll do um, what we're told to do, and that's become a Berean And test these things to the scriptures and make sure that, you know, what Sean and I are talking about lines up with what the word of God has already revealed. And, um, you know, as this show um, kind of exemplifies Proverbs 25, 2, where it is the glory of God to conceal a thing. But the honor of kings is to search out a matter. So that's what we're trying to do here, guys, on this episode. It's the whole premise of the show, why we do it.
0: Yeah. You know, our motivating reason, if this is your first time to see the show. um, Initially, you know, we grew up in church we're familiar with the the modern American canon of 66 books in the Bible. Um, But then over time, as we continue to study the Bible, we realize there's a lot of references to books within the Bible that are not inside the Bible. Right. right. And so uh, this is why we started realizing there was books taken out of the Bible about 140 years ago. Um, Some of them removed even earlier, but we have books in other canons across the world, uh, like the book of Jubilees and the Ethiopian Orthodox canon. That's not in the Protestant canon as well. So, our goal is to take some of these apocryphal books and the word apocryphal just means hidden and to take some of these hidden books and to test them against the modern American canon of 66 and see if they stand up. We're going to scrutinize them as far as their content, their message and their themes. Um, So thank you for joining us. And this week we're jumping in the apocalypse of Abraham, which is a fascinating little book that helps us um, flesh out the Genesis 15 moment of the covenant sacrifice Abraham has with Yahweh. So let's look real quick um, at This is what we talked about last week as we looked briefly into the apocalypse of Baruch. And we saw Baruch actually mention this moment that Abraham had in Genesis 15, didn't we, Ken?
1: Yeah, that's right, Sean. Um, For those of you who hadn't seen last week's episode, I highly recommend doing it. Um, We covered chapter four, and the kind of an outline of chapter four is basically Yahweh telling Baruch that the city that Baruch was witnessing getting destroyed, which you know, if we want to see, if you want to see the episode even before last week's, it was initially destroyed by angels. They helped destroy it. And the fire of God helped destroy um, Jerusalem. And, and, you know, just check that episode out. It's, it's a pretty good episode. But, um, you know, what Baruch was witnessing there, that city that was being destroyed, wasn't the one that the father had said he wrote on the palms of his hands as he quoted in Isaiah earlier. And it happened to be paradise, which was shown to Adam and also to Abraham. And this is the, kind of the whole premise. As to why we're doing this episode. And going to the apocalypse of Abraham. Right Sean? Because there's first 4 in 2nd chapter 4. Where it says. And after these things I showed it to my servant Abraham. By night among the portions of the victims. And the it of verse 4. Is paradise. So Sean. I know you said we're going to go over to Genesis 15. And we will. Um, basically. When we look at Genesis 11. When we see Abraham introduced. In in the scriptures as a character, all the way to where he dies in I believe it's Genesis twenty five. In all those chapters, where do we see him ever being shown paradise?
0: It's not in there, is it?
1: I haven't seen that, brother. Which is why it's very fascinating that you know Baruch would be told this by the father himself that Abraham was shown it among the portions of the victims, which is another interesting way to tell uh, Baruch how Abraham was showing it or you know what um, incident he was showing it in, right?
0: That's right. And if Baruch called the it that was shown to Abraham among the portions of the victims by night as the actual paradise of God, which we're explaining you know, what that is, which is the heavenly Jerusalem, the mother Jerusalem above, Hebrews 11 tells us that Abraham looked for a city whose architect and builder was God, that he knew the land he was living in that was promised to him wasn't the actual fulfillment of the promise yet that he was still waiting and looking for this city that he had seen. Right. And so this is where, you know, we got uh, further veneration of Hebrews 11 to what Baruch is talking about. And so um, this is where, you know, our, our thoughts were like, well, what's the apocalypse Abraham say? Because by the way, in case people aren't familiar, the the word apocalypse just means things being information being revealed to somebody. It means revelation, right? Just something's being given and explained basically, you know, Um, John has that too, right? What's that?
1: John, I mean, it's called the Apocalypse of John as well. We call it Revelation of John. Same thing.
0: Yeah, and so many people in modern day society have kind of taken that word and put it in a different connotation where they think it means, you know, worldwide destruction. But that's not actually its literal definition. It just means information being revealed to somebody. So, um, yeah, so let's jump right in. Let me see here. We're going to start in the Apocalypse of Abraham, Chapter 8. And this is, a, this is where we get a, a brief introduction real quick. And, Ken, if you'd like, I'll just read, um, um, I'll read chapter 8 and 9 real quick together, okay? Sounds good. All right. of Abraham chapter 8. And it came to pass, as I was thinking things like these with regard to my father, Tara, and the court of my house, the voice the, the of voice, the Mighty One came down from the heavens in a stream of fire, saying and calling, Abraham, Abraham. And I said, here I am. And he said, you are searching of the God of gods, the Creator. In the understanding of your heart, I am He. Go out from Terah, your father, and go out of the house, that you too may not be slain in the sins of your father's house. And it came to pass as I went out, I was not yet outside the entrance of the courts, but the sound of a great thunder came and burned him and his house and everything in his house down to the ground forty cubits. Chapter 9 Then a voice came speaking to me twice Abraham, Abraham. And I said, Here I am. And he said, Behold, It is I, fear not, for I am before the world and mighty, the God who created previously, before the light of the age. I am the protector for you, and I am your helper. So go, get me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old she-goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon, and make me a pure sacrifice. In this sacrifice I will place the ages. I will announce to you guarded things, and you will see great things which you have not seen because you have desired to search for me, and I called you my beloved. But for forty days abstain from every kind of food cooked by fire, and from drinking of wine, and from anointing yourself with oil. And then you shall set out for me the sacrifice which I have commanded you, and the place which I will show you on a high mountain. And there I will show you the things which were made by the ages, and by my word, and affirmed, created, and renewed. And I will announce to you in them what will come upon those who have done evil and just things in the race of man.
1: It's an interesting little summary of what he's going to
0: be shown in this um, experience of his, you know, the part that sticks out to me right off the bat is when he says renewed the things that, uh, yeah. When he talks about things that will be, um, and the, the things made by the ages, by the, by the word affirmed, created and renewed. Yeah. Because in Jubilees 19, I believe it's 19 or 23, uh, but also in Revelation 21, we get you know the introduction, the the heavenly Jerusalem coming down, right? And it says, this, and John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Well, if we look into the Greek, that word "new" that's used in those in those verses, it's not the word "neos," which would mean brand new. That's a that's the Greek word for brand new. It's the word "kainos," which means something that's refashioned or renewed. So. Yeah. From that literal Greek definition in Genesis, uh, Revelation twenty-one one and two, John is saying, "I saw a renewed earth and a renewed firmament coming down through through the through the sky." So, like, that's a big deal.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, Abraham gets to see that later on in this vision, that's right? Right. See that's many right. But well, what's fascinating, Sean, right here at the get-go, um, where it says basically, you know. Abraham, hears the voice, right. Calling out to him. Yeah. And you know, he says, here I am. And basically the father's just saying, I am the one that you're searching for. And it's a kind of an interesting little backstory, Sean, that um, we get in this book as well as in Jasher, which yeah. is a book. I mean, we haven't really fully, uh, I think, um, you know, vetted out totally, but it, it does provide an interesting little backstory as well in that book as to why the father even chose Abraham to begin with, to go out of the early Chaldees, right? To get out of his father's house.
0: That's right. We don't
1: really see that in, in Genesis. And I've often wondered that throughout my life. I wondered why was Abraham such a righteous man? Why did the father choose Abraham? Yeah. You know, out of all people, what made Abraham kind of set apart, what, what was the distinctive qualities that Abraham displayed for the father to, you know, reveal himself to him and to, you know, call him out and make him a great nation and make all these promises of a covenant with him. And we get all that information in this book and in, you know, Jasher as well as in Jubilees. And I find it just fascinating that, uh, you know, that the beginning parts of this book, Apocalypse of Abraham, he's he's with his father and he's seeing his father's an idol maker, right? And he's, he's told to be like a merchant to other people to kind of bring the idols and sell them and stuff like that. And Abraham had issues with that. He saw that these things were made by his father's hands. These wood stone images that people bow down to that, you know, that that don't respond. They don't, they don't do anything. And he was questioning, right? This, this practice of idol making and worshiping. And I just, you know, I just find that whole thing really interesting.
0: Yeah, there's a fascinating story in Jasher about how he shows his father that these things are just wood, stone and you know that they're not real. Um, but again, in, in the future, we'll definitely have to get to Jasher and test that book out. There's some there's some things in there, like we said, I believe in uh, two episodes ago. Um, you know, some of these apocryphal books, we're going to see uh, slight discrepancies in some of the descriptions as far as the details. But the thing I want the viewer to keep in mind is that that some of the details. Um, as far as uh, little details, right? As far as something, something. okay, how do I say this the right way? Major theological themes, major things of teachings, okay? So if you're talking about, you know, who God is, what's, you know, prophecy for the Son of Man, fulfillment of prophecy of the Son of Man returning to earth with the kingdom of God, um, what the prophets are instructed to tell the people as far as how they should behave in righteousness according to God's commandments, and also about coming, you know, judgment, uh, depending on their behavior, as far as as uh, in in addition to the coming judgment on all things at the at the day of the Lord. So I just think that it's interesting that these are major components that all the prophets in the Canon sixty six always talk about, including the epistle writers, including Yeshua himself in the Gospels. So those are the like these big points of context that we have seen in a lot of these apocryphal books. Now there's the minute details like one that we just read here. Ken, I believe in chapter um, chapter eight and nine, where the angels telling Abraham, "Get out of your father's house, lest you're going to be consumed in the destruction of his house," and then his house burns down. Right? Um, I believe in the book of Jasher, there's a discrepancy with how Tara actually dies. Is that
1: right? Yes. Yes. So
0: sure. there's a there's a small discrepancy there in the detail, but he still dies. Abraham is still called out of his house because of his behavior was righteous and Terah's was unrighteous. And so, and people will try to line up Genesis 12 through 18 and they'll say, well, you know, it says that he and his whole family, Terah and everything moved to Haran, And then his Terah died there in Haran. This could be that moment there because there's an actual gap between when, um, uh, Abraham is called out of Ur of Chaldees to when he actually leaves. There's a time right. period. Yeah. A lot of people kind of miss that unless you really dig into Genesis. But um, so anyway, I just want the viewer to be aware of that. It's important to understand. Uh, we're going to be bringing to your attention major theological issues. Sometimes the minute details might might not match up perfectly, and we'll we we try to call those out too and address those. One of which we might even have to address in this particular uh, chapter or this particular book as well. So, That's right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well stated, Sean. Yeah, I I agree with that. And it's, you know, it's incumbent on the viewer to understand that, you know, we're going to we're going to come across some of some of these minor issues throughout all the books. And I mean, it's I don't believe that the canon of 66 are impervious to that either. I mean, I know that in, you know, in Luke 928, as well as Matthew 7, 1 and Mark 9, 2, there's a bit of a discrepancy just in that scenario where um, Jesus is taking Peter and I think it's John up to the mount of transfiguration and it says that you know in luke nine twenty eight 28 it says eight after eight days from the, the prior event they went up and then in matthew and mark it says after six days so we have a, a discrepancy of days there but it's still it, that's not enough to like discard the actual event itself just because there's you know a numbering of the days that are a little bit different
0: so yeah. well this is yeah i, I totally agree there's some Again, because the same theology is being taught, the same story is being told, um, and the same outcome happens, right? So all the right. all the major component pieces, the moving parts of the story are the same. It's these minute details sometimes get in there, and you got to wonder if it's either scribal error or if there's, like we've already found in previous episodes of Honor of Kings, there's some translational issues that come in that are sorted out once you look at different manuscripts. So it's kind of interesting. Um, now, I think it's fascinating here, like you were talking about, uh, can this this whole apocalypse of Abraham does give us some backstory more than we get in Jubilees and Genesis about Abraham. And like you talked about, why was he chosen? Simply because the more I researched scripture, I saw that most of the people that were chosen by God to do anything were had proven themselves already in their life to be faithful to him, you know. Sure. And this is where, you know, you get some of this idea that that Abraham was had exposure to the ways of Yahweh and was faithfully trying to do them, which is why the angel tells him. You know the angel again coming as with a message from the Father. So the angel is not claiming to be God, right? He's just he's the mouthpiece. He's coming to give the word of the Lord to this guy because that's what angels do. And so therefore he's saying, I'm you know the message that he's bringing to Abraham is I'm the God you've been searching for in the understanding of your heart. And I think that's just a beautiful thing, right? It absolutely. I, is. I want an angel to show up and say that to me. You know, the Father would give me that message. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, I've been searching today. for him, and understanding my heart for a long time. Now, granted, validating. Abraham's like fifty years older than I am in this moment, but
1: <laughs> so it'd be it'd be rather validating to, for sure to have Yahweh show up through the agency of an angel saying, "I am the one that you're searching for. You're doing well." Like,
0: yeah, yeah. Maybe when I'm seventy-five or eighty, I'll have an experience like that. But um, anyway,
1: so okay, Sean. So I'm going to jump over to chapter ten here. and We'll move forward. Okay, so, cool. Chapter 10, verse 1, and it came to pass when I heard the voice pronouncing such words to me that I looked this way and that, and behold, there was no breath of man, and my spirit was amazed, and my soul fled from me, and I became like a stone and fell face down upon the earth, for there was no longer strength in me to stand up on the earth. And while I was still facing down on the ground, I heard the voice speaking, Go, Jawell, of the same name through the meditation of my ineffable name. Consecrate this man for me and strengthen him against his trembling. The angel he sent to me in the likeness of a man came, and he took me by my right hand and stood me up on my feet. And he said to me, Stand up, Abraham, friend of God, who has loved you. Let human trembling not enfold you. For lo, I am sent to you to strengthen you and to bless you in the name of God, creator of heavenly and earthly things, who has loved you. Be bold and hasten to him. I am Joel. And I was called so by him who causes those with me on the seventh expanse, on the firmament, to shake a power through the medium of his ineffable name in me. I'm the one who has been charged according to his commandment to restrain the threats of the living creatures of the cherubim against one another. And I teach those who carry the song through the medium of man's night of the seventh hour. I'm appointed to hold the Leviathan because through me is subjugated the attack and menace of every reptile. I am ordered to loosen Hades and to destroy those who wondered at the dead. I am the one who ordered your father's house to be burned with him, for he honored the dead. I am sent to you now to bless you and the land which which he whom you have called the Eternal One has prepared for you. For your sake I have indicated the way of the land. Stand up, Abraham, go boldly. Be very joyful and rejoice. And I also rejoice with you, for a venerable honor has been prepared for you by the Eternal One. Go, complete the sacrifice of the command. Behold, I am assigned to be with you and with the generation which is predestined to be born from you. And with me, Michael blesses you forever. Be bold and go.
0: Man, there's so much in there. So much fun stuff. Um, we get a wild introduction to this this angel, uh, Joel, or Z-O-L. It's kind of hard to say. No wonder he calls his name ineffable, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, but this angel himself, Ken, didn't didn't you have a theory about who this angel is?
1: Well, I mean, it's fascinating when you start to look into all the angels that show up in these extra biblical books like Enoch and in Jub- in Jubilees as well as in this one. Um, they all have roles, right, Sean? And that's kind of a, a consistent theme that we've noticed throughout these extra biblical books is that angels come as Yahweh's agent, his mouthpiece, right? But on top of that, they're, they were created to do things right and so it appears that there was this angel whose name is jawel i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing that correctly but um he has several different things that he's in charge of and in um chapter 10 starting with verse 10 it says that he's appointed to hold leviathan which is a fascinating thing um for those of you who haven't Really heard too much on the Leviathan and, and and Behemoth. Sean and I actually had an episode on the Road to Rescue over at the Peril Bowl of the Vineyard not too long ago, where we discussed Leviathan and Behemoth and, and kind of the implications of these two beasts, um, and and what you know what their purpose of, of being created is and how it has kind of an eschatological um, you know ramification on the Day of the Lord. So for those of you who aren't familiar with it, maybe you can go check that out. And Here's the link to the episode or the um, the title of the episode. But um, it appears that, John, this, this angel here, Joel, he was appointed to hold Leviathan. So he's somehow restraining this Leviathan, which is really fascinating, eh?
0: That's right. He's holding Leviathan, and he's also in charge of loosening Hades, um, which that seems like a big statement. Very big. Um, I mean,
1: where do we see yeah, that in Revelation, Sean, where an angel goes to the bottomless pit and opens up the pit?
0: Yeah, man, that's Revelation 9, verse 1. It's
1: fascinating because we don't—we're not told the name of the angel. We just know there is an angel who has a key to that specific place
0: who unlocks it, and and you know, yeah. And then we got these 200 million things come out with the polyon, so that's like, man, this is this is big to me that this angel that that any text would claim responsibility for. You know, uh, now whether people want you know believe this or not, this is the this is the only text I've ever seen. It claims what it's claiming, and that would make sense of Revelation nine one. Um, yeah, and isn't there a passage in Second Thessalonians two eight or two nine where it talks about um, the restrainer until the restrainer? Yes. I, yes. I'm going blank right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. Paul's actually, you know, trying to bring to memory his audience about how um, the, um,
0: the 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 lawless, lawless ones the revealed lawless on one.
1: He's revealed, right? right. And, and until that's the restrainer I, let's, let's go. Right. And right. here in this
0: book that the restrainer um, is this guy. And if you haven't already seen here on kingdom and context, I, you know, I, one of my principal concepts here for my channel is that I've created a context tree. And so on this context tree are several different branches that are major themes repeated and spoken all throughout the scriptures. And explained all throughout the scriptures. One of those branches is the branch of Polyon. And I've already done a video for that branch. And I'll flash here up on the screen for you. But this idea is called a Polyon, um, is the name of the, of the video itself. You're welcome to go check that out. And I break down Revelation about Revelation 9:1 and Revelation 17 8, where it explains to us who Polyon is. And I go through all throughout the scriptures to explain that. So you're welcome to check that out when you have a chance. But it's very possible, Ken, that this moment here is. Is this angel that let loose Apollyon, and then at yeah. the end of days, forty-two months before the return of Yeshua?
1: Yeah, well, it's very fascinating, Sean, because I mean, as you refer to Second Thessalonians, there um, historically, I think the theory for that who the restrainer is has kind of been attributed to Michael, right? Yeah. And there hasn't been much to go off of other than we know that in Enoch, Michael is over over the nations, right, and over the favorable nations. I think it's referred to as so. um this is referring to restrainer in the sense of, you know, his title of holding the key, loosening Hades. And then the lawless one that Paul talks about in second Thessalonians comes right. And is revealed. So my opinion, yeah, I, I, I think that this is who the restrainer is. This angel Joel, is the one contextually who Paul's referring to in second Thessalonians instead of Michael.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Man, this this is this would be fascinating if this was uh if this was it, you know, this would be and, and it would make so much sense because of the study that we did on Leviathan as well and everything, how that plays out at the end of days when the Messiah returns. Yeah. Also in verse uh, eight, uh seven and eight, actually, where it talks about uh, well Gerald was saying that I all I was called so by him who causes those with me on the seventh firmament to shake. <laughs> yeah so as we've discussed in previous episodes of honor of kings especially when we're going through the book of enoch and in the first few episodes we we delved into the creation model that's explained in genesis one that's repeated in in um, the book of enoch all throughout the scriptures actually and it's not a ball in space model it's a completely different model than the heliocentric model that was taught to us at kids as kids this is a model in the scriptures that is described as as an enclosed dome if you will a firmament like dome and the, the actual structure of the dome is what the father calls the firmament and gives it the name heaven in genesis 1 verses 68 and other passages like deuteronomy ten fourteen and and um, Books of enoch and many other places psalms. There's there's a passage that refer to multiple layers of this dome above us and This here we have a seventh layer being spoken about.
1: Yeah, that's right Sean and in jubilees 2 verse 2 it actually says that on day number one specifically that Yahweh created the heavens above and the earth. And that's plural. And so, and this was
0: before he created on day number two, the big firmament that's directly over our head. So we're talking about the layers above it, right? That's correct, yeah. So
1: it just once again kind of confirms that there are layers. According to what I've studied, there's seven of them. And he's on the top, and that's where the most high is, right? Him being the most high, he literally is the most high on
0: the top on the seventh firmament. And And that would make sense why this angel has so much responsibility. If he's one of those that gets to hang out on the top layer with the father. That's right. Because this guy looks to be in charge of a lot of stuff. Yeah.
1: So Sean, if we move forward to um, also verse nine here, it says that he restrains the threats of the living creatures of the cherubim against one another. And that is interesting because we're going to find as we go through this book, it won't be in this episode, but in either next episode or a following episode, we're going to see that there's an instance here where the holy cherubim have to be kind of refereed by him. And that's one of his, you know, one of his qualities is that he's capable of, of kind of getting in between and making sure that they don't create chaos between the two of them because they're so jealous for Yahweh.
0: Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, it's like talking about fanboys. <laughs> but yeah, Absolutely. That's a, uh, I mean, and also just the, the phrase right after that, where he says he teaches uh, those who carry the song through the medium of man's night of the seventh hour. So what song and what seventh hour, you know, is that the stuff that's referred to in uh, was it Ezra's second Ezra's? Yeah. Second Ezra's I think talks about that. Um, breaks it down in the 12 different hours of mankind. Yep. Yeah. And so, and what is this song? Is this the song that we see in revelation that's taught to the resurrected saints?
1: Yeah. And there's a song that we're going to see in this very book too. Once we get That's to it, weird. I don't know if it's the same song, but he teaches Abraham a song and he says, you're going to have to learn this song. If you want to come up to this kind of level of the firmament, because we're all singing kind of a song kind of similar to this. So.
0: <laughs> you got to learn, you gotta learn what's the music. That's great. It's so good. Um, yeah, man, there's, oh, this is so much fun. I wish we had a few hours to break this one down, but today is, I mean, it's just, there's a lot of content we want to get to for the viewer, so, um, But really, I think next we should probably just go into Genesis 15 and Jubilees, and we're going to read the parallel account of what, what's happening to introduce the next chapters that we're going to start reading from Apocalypse of Abraham. We want to preface those chapters with the canon of Genesis, and then we're going to jump to the parallel in Jubilees real quick. That way people can have an understanding of what we're about to compare from the Apocalypse of Abraham. That's right. So um, and real quick in Genesis, um, I'll read this part here. It's going to be we're going to be reading 7 through 20 out of Genesis 15, verse seven. He said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. And he said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he he brought all these to him and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abraham drove them away. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed four hundred years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. It came about when the sun had set, that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch, which passed between these pieces. And on that day the Lord made covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt as far as the great river the river Euphrates, the Kenite, the Kenazite, the Cabanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, and the Rephaim, and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. Excellent.
1: Yeah, there's, um, it doesn't seem to be a whole lot there in terms of You know what is really truly going on i know that sean this is kind of the moment where we see abraham going into covenant with with the father right and right is in your opinion is this a threshold covenant
0: yeah no it's not i've actually done an entire video on this particular passage in genesis 15 i'll I'll flash the thumbnail on the screen it's under my bride series on the playlists on my channel here in kingdom context you guys are welcome to check that out for a supplementary conversation that is in a different facet About Genesis 15 compared to what we're talking about today, but I do go over the actual covenant and the implications and how it's been erroneously taught to us in the past um, to compare it to actually what it is, you know, and so you're welcome to check that out. It's called the bride series. I have parts one and two, and then uh, that'll help you clarify from a priest perspective as far as what's going on there. But what we're doing today is we're looking at this moment of covenant sacrifice from an implications perspective, as far as what is this claim that we read from John, uh, John chapter eight, where Jesus said Abraham saw my day and um, and rejoiced? What is this claim from from uh, Second Baruch or the Apocalypse of Baruch that we just read beginning of the show in chapter four, where he talks about among the portions of the victims at night, you know Abraham was shown paradise. You know what is what's going on here? And so that's where we don't get any of that in that passage in Genesis fifteen that I just read. The only thing that we would get that that I see a place where it could be squeezed in. That it's just not explained because remember as we've spoken about in multiple other segments and videos and here on Honor and Kings and also on my channel, many other videos, I explain how Genesis, you know, remember that this, this first five books of, of uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, they've been discovered to have been encoded mathematically with how the words are structured. So Genesis has a lot of summary statements. Sometimes it backs up and explains Sometimes it just glazes right over them because these other writings like Jubilees, like this book we're reading, Apocalypse Abraham, they flesh out the details even further. They just give you the summary of events real quick because they're trying to get to the next concept. And so the only, Ken, the only part I see is in verse 12. It says, now when the sun was going down a deep sleep fell upon Abram and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. So this is a, is a peculiar moment here because people you know it seems like he goes to sleep right well right. as we read in enoch and all these other books that we've been studying a lot of these visions happen when people go to sleep Yeah. you know they're they're given dreams that they call visions where they get a message from the lord and this is how they're not literally being taken above the firmament to see these things they're just being shown a vision in their sleep
1: yeah and i contend sean exactly that verse 12 here in genesis 15 is kind of encompassed within multiple chapters of the apocalypse of Abraham that we're going to, you know, that we are going to read, but also that in verse 17 of Genesis 15, where it says, and it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch, which passed between these pieces. I mean, I've heard a couple different theories, but I think the, the the more leading theory that exists out there is that this is Yahweh. Well, this is his son, right? As being a flaming torture or, Sorry,
0: I was just saying, I've I've actually heard that the the most predominant one I've heard is that it's both the father and the son. One's the one's a flaming oven, the other one's a torch. But that's that's just, in my opinion, a huge misconception as far as you know, a a flame comes from a flaming oven, right? So the torch flame comes from to me, it's not two separate things, it's just the description of one concept, and he's describing different facets of the flaming oven, which has. You know, the furnace, which has a flame coming up from it, which is which is where flames would come from. So
1: that's um, what I was going to say, um, is that it's it's Yeshua Yeshua is the flame flame, and the furnace furnace itself is is Yahweh or or something. But they're both part there. Right. They're both kind of taking a part there. That's that's what I've heard. That's what I believe for many years. But when we get over to Jubilees 14, we're going to see really what this is all about. Right. What's going on here? This isn't just pieces lying on the ground that two entities are passing through.
0: Right, that's right. Yeah, that's the common mismis in my opinion, very misunderstanding of this idea is that he just cut these pieces open, laid them on the ground, was knocked out, and then he and then when he woke up, he saw two different things: a furnace and a flaming torch passing through the pieces. And that's why people think this was a a cultural custom called a threshold covenant, but um, that is not what Jubilees tells us, nor is it what we're going to read in the Apocalypse of Abraham. So, you want to get to Jubilees real quick?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, guys, we're going to be in Jubilees chapter 14, as we've said. Well, I think I'll start with verse 7, Sean, and go up to 20, I think. We'll cover most of the context there. Okay. Okay, starting with verse 7. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees, to give thee the land of the Canaanites, to possess it forever. And I will be God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. And he said, Lord, Lord, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto me, Take me a heifer of three years, and a goat of three years, and a sheep of three years, and a turtle dove, and a pigeon. And he took all these in the middle of the month, and he dwelt at the oak of Mamre, which is near Hebron. And he built there an altar, and sacrificed all these. And he poured their blood upon the altar, and divided them in the midst, and laid them over against each other. But the birds divided he not. And birds came down upon the pieces, and Abram drove them away, and did not suffer the birds to touch them. And it came to pass when the sun had set that an ecstasy fell upon Abram and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And it was said unto Abram, know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs. And they shall bring them into bondage and afflict them for 400 years. And the nation also to whom they will be in bondage will I judge. And after that, they shall come forth thence with much substance and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace and be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return hither for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And he awoke from his sleep and he arose and the sun had set and there was a flame and behold, a furnace was smoking and a flame of fire passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to thy seed will I give this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Perizzites and the Rephaim, the Phacarites and the Hivites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Girgashites and the Jebusites. And the day passed and Abram offered the pieces and the birds and their fruit offerings and their drink offerings and the fire devoured them. And on that day, we made a covenant with Abram according as we had covenanted with Noah in this month. And Abram renewed the festival and ordinance for himself forever. Sean, that's so interesting because verse 20 here, it says that we made a covenant with Abram and, and the we in context of the narration of Jubilees is via the angels so we have multiple angels here, which actually is going to correspond with the apocalypse of Abraham when we move forward.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, it seems to be in, in Scripture, we see kind of a precedent that these guys don't always come alone. They seem to show up in pairs or groups. That's right. Which would make sense for accountability, in my opinion, the way the Father does things, you know? Yeah,
1: but I think what's the biggest thing to highlight here in this Jubilee's passage, Sean? What? In well, way- it,
0: to me, it's, it's uh, up there where it talks about he actually built an altar. That's right. Um, It's going to be in verses 11, 10, uh, 10 through 12. But in verse 11, he says he built an actual altar. um, And this wasn't him just taking these, these animals, cutting them open, cutting them in two halves and putting them on the ground. Um, This is him doing what a priest does and building an altar, a proper altar. I'm guessing it's on with unhewn stone, because that was the description for building altars outside of the temple. And to put these pieces on the altar to do a burnt offering, which is why it talks about him. You know, that's why there's a fire that shows up. So he, he he builds the altar. He puts the pieces on the altar. But the father is the one who comes through with the fire and lights lights the altar. We actually have a precedent for this in scripture, many places in Exodus, the Book of First Kings, um, and you know other places where God literally lights the altar. The famous thing with uh, the you know the famous showdown on Mount Carmel between you know Jezebel, Ahab, their forces, the prophets of Baal versus Elijah. He That's builds right. an altar, waits for God to supply the fire. So, and what's interesting is that. Um, you know that also took place on a high mountain you know so i just think it's interesting because remember uh apocalypse abraham the angel tells abraham i'm going to take you to a high mountain i'm going to show to you and we're going to do the sacrifice there so yeah um, it's
1: it's super fascinating sean i mean jubilees 14 verse 19 for sure kind of backs up what you're saying here and says and the fire devoured them so we have a fire for sure devouring the pieces that were on the altar Yeah. And then even more more interesting is in verse 20, where it says that, you know, the angels made a covenant with Abram the same way they did with Noah in the same month.
0: And just so so the viewer is not confused, the, the language we're using, when we say the angels made a covenant with Noah, we're saying the angels are there as a representative of the Father. That's why they're sent. So the Father's making a covenant with Noah. It's not literally Abraham worshiping angels. It's not Abraham making a covenant that the angels are going to abide by. It's the angels being the representative, the the proxy to deliver the message, the agents of the father. And that's why they're talking like this, right? That we made a covenant with Noah. Um, And that's, but it's not, they're not personally making a covenant. It's a covenant extended, an offer extended from the father, Yahweh, to Abraham in lieu of the angels being the ministers to carry it out. Yeah, that's right. Because as Jesus tells us, no one's, no one's, you know, heard the father or seen His form at any time, right? Because he's, he's in heaven. He's the most high and he doesn't come down to the ground and do, do, um, covenant moments, you know, because people would die. <laughs> so that's right. yeah. He can't, he can't descend the way, you know, he's too much power. So, yeah. uh, he has to be shielded by the firmaments above and he can't just descend. Otherwise Abraham would have been burnt with everything else. So, yeah, yeah anyway. it's an
1: important thing to, <laughs> yeah, to know.
0: Right. I mean, Yahweh yeah. is merciful
1: with removing himself from our fleshly corrupted nature yeah so it's i mean it's his grace and his mercy that he sends his agents who come mightily and we even see that in the apocalypse of abraham abraham falls like a stone dead to the ground this isn't this isn't a new concept we see it in revelation i think it's in second Ezra as well the angel has to you know lift him up and give him kind of back his his life into his body and say you know stand up here i know we're terrifying but at least it wasn't the father coming before you
0: Right. It's just, and that's actually something I wanted to, um, to jump into. Unless there's anything else in Jubilees right now, I know we might reference Jubilees again in a minute, but unless there's anything else in Jubilees right now, I wanted to jump back to the Apocalypse of Abraham real quick.
1: No, I'm good, man. We can move on.
0: Okay. Um, but I think it's, it's actually uh, in chapter 11 here where you, what you read about the appearance of this angel, right? It's in verse 2. The appearance of his body was like sapphire, the aspect of his face was like crystallite. And his hair, his head, like, like snow. And a kedaris was on his head, and, and the look of a rainbow. And the clothing of his garments was purple, golden staff in his right hand. So, so here, after we got this description of this angel Joel, or Eol, or however you say his name, um, I think it's fascinating that the appearance of his body was like sapphire. And Here's the thing about sapphire. That's the generic term for many different colored stones. So there's, sapphire comes in all different colors, even clear. So I don't know exactly what that means. I don't know exactly what color he is, but it says the aspect of his face was like chrysolite. Well, if you look up chrysolite, (laughs) it also has many different stones that can... They're like gem-like qualities of stones, but there's many different kinds, and they come in all different colors. So that doesn't help us either with an actual, you know, literal technical description. But then it says there was a kedaris, which is like a little crown on his head, okay? And that it was the look of a rainbow. Well, okay, so is the guy wearing a rainbow or is it the look is, is the the crown that's on his head literally giving off the look of a rainbow, which to me, if you've ever seen anything that's highly polished, certain types of metals like bit, uh, bitrum is a type of stone that looks like a rainbow color, like different layers of the stone reflect different types of, um, of all the colors on the spectrum. And so I just think it's fascinating that this guy, you know, from his appearance to his face, to his crown, could just be irradiating all types of colors on the spectrum. And that's and of course, it says he showed up in the appearance of a man. So this is, to me, it's kind of helpful when we see this in other parts of Scripture where it says, like in Genesis 18, the three men that showed up to Abram and Sarah, you know, and they had the meal for them before they went to Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, these are clearly angels, as the Scriptures tell us, right? It wasn't just regular men, but they're spoken of as men because they show up in the appearance of a man. So just hopefully that helps some some people following along. But um I just think it's fascinating that this guy showing up, just I mean, this guy's blinged out, you know, from his from his face to his clothes, he's got a he's got a staff of gold, he's got a purple robe, you know, which is a symbol of authority and a crown. And I know, you know, when the first time I ever read the Apocals of Abraham, I wondered to myself, was this a pre-incarnate Yeshua?
1: Yeah, because it does, I mean, it's very reminiscent of Revelation 1 where Yeshua is kind of described in like manner and even daniel i believe it's chapter seven we see the same thing in terms of the ancient of days having white hair and i mean it's all a description of in my opinion just spiritual beings and what they look like it's not that i mean it's not that these are all somehow in a trinitarian like fashion the father right i mean
0: that's yeah and so this and when i first read this this was what i thought was a pre-incarnate Yeshua. Now I understand from a greater greater context, especially from Enoch, I understand a greater context of the purpose of the Messiah and when he was to be revealed and why. And so I understand that this was just an angel. But initially I thought this was what Jesus was referring to in John chapter eight, when he said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. Oh, you know? yeah. so, but then again, I get a direct name. I have huge issues because then I've got a, a, an angel calling himself a specific name. That was never announced or never explained for Yeshua himself. Yeah, um, And so, in fact, we even have in 2nd Ezra, Yeshua being called Yeshua before he was even born, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. But I so, mean, not to mention, Sean, um, I mean, as we're going to see perfectly with what that John 8 passage is referring to um, in this book, Abraham gets to see you through one of the layers of the firmament, actually Yeshua,
0: That's right. Yeah. That's what I
1: said. That's me right there. If that was really him in some fashion. Right. So, yeah, I I agree. Yeah, that's what I was
0: kind of I was morphing into is just to say that in the following chapters, uh, probably next episode, we're actually going to read about the moments Abraham gets to see the day, the day, meaning the reign of Yeshua and when he's in his fullness and what's going on there. So, guys, make sure you catch uh, not just the end of this episode as we go into some of these further things, but the next episode because we're going to follow up in the Apocalypse of Abraham even further and flesh out this moment that's happening in Genesis 15. Okay, so we'll just pick back up into 12, uh, 13, and 14, and then um, we'll keep breaking down the Apocalypse of Abraham. So here in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, We went, the two of us alone together, forty days and nights, and I ate no bread and drank no water, because my food was to see the angel who was with me. And his discourse with me was my drink. We came to God's mountain, glorious Horeb. And I said to the angel, singer of the Eternal One, Behold, I have no sacrifice with me, nor do I know a place for an altar on the mountain. So how shall I make the sacrifice? And he said, Look behind you. And I liked behind me. And behold, all the prescribed sacrifices were following us. The calf, the she-goat, the ram, the turtle-dove, and the pigeon. And the angel said to me, Abraham. And I said, Here I am. And he said to me, Slaughter all these, and divide the animals exactly into halves. But do not cut the birds apart, and give them to the men whom I will show you standing beside you, for they are on the altar of the mountain. Excuse me, for they are the altar on the mountain to offer sacrifices to the Eternal One. The turtle dove and the pigeon you will give to me, for I will send on the wings of the birds to show you what is in the heavens, on the earth and in the sea, and the abyss and the lower depths, in the Garden of Eden and its rivers, in the fullness of the universe. You will see its circles and all. Wow. That's awesome. now yeah. I don't like the use of this translation where it used the word universe because that has a very specific connotation in our modern times that doesn't seem to match the biblical creation model.
1: Yeah. And I mean, for those of you who are wondering, Sean and I are reading from the Um, This translation that we're reading actually has a, um, a parallel translation right beside it. And it actually words it a little bit better in my opinion. And in the fullness of the whole world and its circle and you should gaze into all of them. So, I mean, it's it's talking about the world kind of as a whole instead of the, the, the universe, because I agree with you. It has a, a bit of a different twist to that. Yeah. But yeah. it's what's interesting, Sean, is and you will see its circles in you know, all. And we know, you know, we've seen that word described throughout the scriptures, how Yahweh sits kind of above in the heavens and looks down upon the circle of the earth, right? And so right. it makes it seem like there's, within each firmament it's like everything's kind of in a circular fashion as we go up it's almost like a column
0: right that's right and that's why i think we do see in later chapters in the 20s and 30s that he is looking at different layers of the firmament and then looking down through some of them in this vision and so that's why the rest of the entire book the apocalypse of abraham would not match this particular this initial translation that we're because like I said, we're, we're looking at the specific website that compares two different translations. So the translation that uses the word universe, which is a modern term that we use for the heliocentric concept, um, in most people's minds anyway, the yeah. rest of the entire book and everything spoken in the Apocalypse of Abraham would not match that description. Yeah. So the secondary translation, which says the whole world and its circle, matches Isaiah 40, and, you and know, so many yeah. other passages in scripture that we get from Genesis 1, the description of creation so yeah so
1: that's interesting man um i like how right at the beginning verse one where it says that you know this angel jael and abraham both alone went together to the mountain and obviously the mountain we know is horeb or mount sinai which is a fascinating place for them to be going to they went there for 40 days 40 nights and abraham didn't eat anything for that duration of time but he it's interesting how he kind of words it that you know, his food was to see the angel who was with him, and his discourse with him was his drink. So that's how he was kind of getting, I guess, nurtured in a way is through this this discourse with the angel. And um, you know, we see that with the Exodus moment, at where you know Moses is going up the mountain and he's there for four days, four nights, fasting, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. You see him not eat food or, or drink apparently um, on the mountain top while he's having his vision yeah. and seeing the heavenly tabernacle and everything as well. So that's, it's just part for the course. It's like something about being, you know, in the presence of an angel, having a vision. It's like, I don't know. It's just amazing to me. And this reminds me of that moment. And um, um, I think it's Elijah. It's uh, first Kings 17, I believe, or first Kings uh, uh, 18, where Elijah run, is is prompted to go to Mount Sinai, to Mount Horb. And uh, this is where the famous moment where he ha- he's in the cave and, you know, the the mighty, the, the earthquake, the, you know, the strong wind and everything. But then it was a still small voice that he was waiting for to hear God. And um, I think that's fascinating because that also is happening at the same mountain. And before Elijah took that trip, then angel shows up to him and says, you know, he baked him some food, basically. Yeah. And he was like, because you're going to be on a long journey. You're going to need this. And then apparently that journey took that whole time period took 40 days.
1: Yeah, so, that's right, man. Yeah, that's a good um a good spot for sure. Um, same with Yeshua, right? When he goes out to the
0: wilderness? Yeshua goes to the wilderness 40 days, 40 nights. An angel
1: comes to see him afterwards and gives him some food.
0: Yeah, it does. Now, I, it doesn't quite say he went to Mount Sinai, but I mean, I got some speculations. <laughs> I, think he went, I think he went to Sinai first. Yeah, because I just like when you look at the geography, of the land, and, and most people think that he just went out to the wilderness of Judea, but you start looking at all these other prophets that we're reading about and they're all like um, in second Ezra's chapter two, it talks about Ezra going to Mount Horb to receive, you know, a word from God. Yeah. And so we've got Abraham, Moses, Elijah, Ezra. And uh, I just feel like Jesus probably went to Mount Sinai and that was the wilderness it was talking about. Yeah. It doesn't really specify in the gospels.
1: No, it doesn't. And I actually did a little bit of research recently on the wilderness of Paran. And apparently that is kind of associated with, you know, Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb as well, being in and around the wilderness there. So that's, that's yeah, kind of interesting too.
0: Um, yeah, it's it, man. It's that would be so fascinating if if Yeshua went to Mount uh, Mount Horb, which is Mount Sinai, um, and it just you know that was just kind of like the common assumption for the 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 the, uh, the New Testament writer because they knew all these other prophets had gone there to get a word from the Lord and to have angelic visitation and to go get along with God, you know, yeah. I just think it's fascinating.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, just continuing on here in the text, Sean, it's, um, it's an interesting little bit of information we're given in this particular, um, chapter here in apocalypse of Abraham, just how the animals, I guess, kind of all followed them to the mountain where, and you know, the angels like look behind you, they're right there. Cause Abraham's where am I going to get this? So we yeah. have the Genesis 15 Jubilee's 14 moment where he's cutting them all in half there. And, you know, they're kind of like miraculously following behind them for this covenant sacrifice moment, right?
0: Yeah. And what's interesting is we think about the, you know, the land area of where Abraham was living at this point in his life, which was in uh, Hebron, right? Which is near the Oak of Mamre. We're actually going to talk about that here in a minute with Jubilees 14 in this same uh, moment here with the same sacrifice. But it says the beginning of chapter 12 that he went for you know, the two of us alone together, 40 days and 40 nights. So I don't know if it takes 40 days and 40 nights to get to the mountain. Um, I don't know if it takes that long or if that's the round trip that he's talking about. Mm, That's that's interesting. And that could have also been why it was a round trip for Elijah, 40 days and 40 nights, and possibly even Yeshua. You know, you just never know. Because if you look at the topography or the geography, like the distance on the map, from what people think is Mount Sinai in Saudi Arabia that's, you know, that's uh, cordoned off with fencing by the Saudi Arabian government because it's literally the top of the mountain is burnt black and there's still a, a there's still a calf engraved on a piece of stone at the bottom of the mountain and there's a stone altar. And <laughs> like, you see all the stuff described in Exodus that's uh, that uh, modern day archaeologists have have stumbled upon at this certain mountain in uh, Saudi Arabia that's fenced off by the government. and um, And I just think it's fascinating that that's about, you know, that's not 40 days away from, from uh, Hebron is what I'm getting at. Right now I could see it being a 10 or 11 day walk, you know, and maybe who knows, maybe 20 day walk if you're, if you're walking slower, but, um, but yeah, I don't. And it it makes sense to me that he would not eat or drink because he's literally going out into the wilderness. Remember when the children of Israel went out to Mount Sinai, they were, they were like, have you brought us out here to die? What are we going to do? You know, yeah. and and then Moses prayed, and then God's like, "We'll strike the rock, and I'll have water come out." You know, but then, uh, or he said, "Speak to the rock," but Moses struck it, which was not good. Um, and so, what I'm saying is, they traveled deep into the wilderness as well, you know, and they claimed they claimed they didn't have any food or anything as well. So I just wonder if that's what's going on here. Is um, it's not like he had, he could just carry a koozie or a cooler behind him on wheels. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, but what's cool is that apparently he's bringing, he's bringing the sacrifice with him. So technically, um, I guess, I don't know if he eats these animals on this particular sacrifice. It's kind of hard to, to discern with the wording, but even if he didn't, apparently he's just saying I had no food or drink, uh, because the being with the angel was my food or, you know, his discourse with me was my drink. And that's, that's a fascinating statement just because it's like, it's like he didn't even notice the animals falling behind he's so wrapped up and trying to talk to this angel yeah. what are they talking about for 40 days and 40 nights you know like <laughs> yeah. that's, oh, the, it's that's fascinating
1: like, it's almost like their body his body kind of went into suspended animation or something for for that amount of yeah. time and it was just like being in the presence of something so spiritual and holy is able to kind of sustain you in a way in your your mortal body somehow
0: you know yeah it's it's fascinating to me. But what I love about it, though, is verse six or five and six that you read. And he said he looked. He looked behind him, and behold, all the prescribed sacrifices were following him. So it wasn't just random animals; it was the specific ones. And this is to me what I was re- referencing earlier when we look at Abraham in Genesis doing setting up these altars and saying he was calling on the name of the Lord and doing these sacrifices. This guy was a priest, so he knew which animals went for which sacrifices on what days. Like the guy wasn't just being told you know, every single time he put up an altar and did a sacrifice, he wasn't being told individually, like he had been trained, he'd been taught. And that's where I would, you know, I want to believe Jasher is, (laughs) Jasher is legit, you know, and because it's Jasher claims that Shem praised him for the most part. So Shem Shem being the the Melchizedek would have taught him all this stuff to know what the prescribed animals would be anyway.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting, man, for sure. I mean, Abram had to have had some sort of knowledge of these, you know, priestly instructions somehow because you're right. He, he is making these, these altar sacrifices and it's just not, it's not like anyone can just randomly do that. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. So, this
1: is, yeah. These are
0: for specific people and they know, they know the specific ingredients and the motions to go through, you know, Sean,
1: I like in verse 10 here where it says, we, we, we finally get to see why the two birds, the turtle dove and the pigeon aren't to be touched really. Right. And it's the turtle dove and the pigeon the reason why that they're not to be sliced up or anything is because that uh, the angel will ascend on the wings of the birds to the heavens yeah and then go through the earth and the sea and the abyss and the lower depths and the garden of eden and its rivers and then the fullness of you know the world but we that's kind of the reason why that you know you're bringing, those are to come with the sacrifice the altar sacrifice here but we're not touching those because we have a specific reason to leave those things you know <laughs> unaltered so i find that fascinating
0: yeah <laughs> Well, I think uh, we I think if we read thirteen, we're probably going to run into some answers some questions we may ask about the birds and about his food and everything. Yeah. And then also we get introduced to Azazel showing up on the scene. Uh, that's right. So that's that's interesting.
1: Yeah, Sean, do you want me to read chapter thirteen, or did you want to?
0: Yeah, you, you can read it.
1: Okay. All right, chapter thirteen. And I did everything according to the angel's command. And I gave the angels who had come to us the divided parts of the animals. And the angel Jael took the two birds. And I waited for the evening gift, and an unclean bird flew down on the carcasses, and I drove it away. And the unclean bird spoke to me and said, What are you doing, Abraham, on the holy heights where no one eats or drinks, nor is there upon them food for men, but these all will be consumed by fire, and they will burn you up. Leave the man who is with you and flee, for if you ascend to the height, they will destroy you. And it came to pass when I saw the bird speaking, I said this to the angel, What is this, my lord? And he said, this is disgrace. This is Azazel. And he said to him, shame on you, Azazel, for Abraham's portion is in heaven and yours is on the earth, for you have selected here and become enamored of the swelling place of your blemish. Therefore, the eternal ruler, the mighty one has given you a dwelling on earth. Through you, the all evil spirit is a liar and through you are wrath and trials on the generations of men who live impiously. For the eternal, mighty one did not allow the bodies of the righteous to be in your hands. So through them, the righteous life is affirmed in the destruction of ungodliness. Here, counselor, be shamed by me. You have no permission to tempt all the righteous. Depart from this man. You cannot deceive him because he is the enemy of you and of those who follow you and who love what you wish. For behold, the garment, which is heaven, was formerly yours, has been set aside for him. And the corruption which was on him has gone over to you <laughs> that's so cool man isn't
0: that amazing this angel is reprimanding azazel yeah he's uh
1: he's put him in his place that's for sure
0: two, two things i want to point out real quick just in case the the follower you guys if you're watching you know and you're viewing this and you're um and you may have noticed something very unique from when we read Julius 14 to what we start off with here in apocalypse a chapter 12. Jubilees 14 claims that, I think it's in verse 10, it says um, that Abraham lived near the Oak of Mamre, near Hebron. The very next sentence says, and there he built an altar. And then it goes into this story we're reading here. So in, on, a, on a brief reading, we may Im- immediately think, okay, well, therefore, this this whole story didn't take place on Mount Sinai, like the Apocalypse Abraham is saying, but it took place in, in Hebron somewhere. Um, the only problem is... We don't have the original translations of Jubilees, and we don't know. There's one in, one word inserted in there that might that that we would love to see the original translation to make sense from the context of everything, and that is the word there. It says he built an altar there. I think it's verse eleven or twelve. Yeah, so the 11. point is, it, it, it um we know from Genesis that this was the time of Abraham's life where he was living near Hebron, which is what the end of chapter ten seems or verse ten Jubilees fourteen ten seems to say. But many times in scripture, it just skips right to a next thing without even in Jubilees, it skips right to something else without a lot of explanation, which you may have to go find in Genesis. And other times, we see this in Genesis, then we have to find it in Jubilees and we have to piece them together, kind of like a puzzle, if you will. So, even if there there may be a true discrepancy, we don't know. We just wanted to bring it, we just want the viewer to know that we noticed it. Okay. And so, all the component pieces of the story are the same. This minor detail. Seems to be at first glance, seems to be different. Jubilees seems to say this happened near Hebron. The block of Abraham claims that they went to Mount Sinai for a purpose, and it's called a holy mountain, the glorious Mount Oreb. Even the um, this unclean bird who Mazazel is speaking through calls it the holy heights. Did you catch that, Ken? Yeah, and so that's why in Jubilees chapter 4, verse 26, it says, For the Lord has four places on the earth the Garden of Eden, the Mountain of the East this mountain on which you are this day which is Mount Sinai and Mount Zion which will be sanctified in the new creation for the sanctification of the earth through it through it will the earth be sanctified from all its guilt and uncleanness throughout all the generations of the world that's a reference in my opinion to the Messiah dying on Mount Sinai um, which makes me want I, that's a whole other study Ken about which actual hill Christ was crucified on
1: um, I was gonna say did you did you misspeak there John yeah Mount Sinai eh
0: yeah because you you have that same mountain as the one Isaac was taken to. That's when right. you do a in-depth study of Jubilees and Genesis. So it just makes me wonder if, you know, just like in modern times they believe that um people think that the temple remnant what is the Fortress of Antonio, the Roman Fortress of Antonio, I don't think we've I don't think we've seen the temple, the the second temple that was built and destroyed by the Romans. Um I don't think that's what the Fortress of Antonio was. In fact, there's an archaeology uh, report that I was watching where the guy claims there basically is an entire mountain that's been leveled by the Romans that used to be the mountaintop that was called where the temple was set. <laughs> so I don't know how true that is, but it's very interesting. And they go off of uh, I think it's um, like Zechariah four seventeen or something where it talks about to Zerubbabel this the mountain before you this whole this glorious mountain will become a plain or something like that. So it's very interesting. Um, that's a whole other study started to derail, but, um, yeah, no, that's yeah.
1: Fascinating, man. That's interesting for sure.
0: But it, it would be par for the course. I mean, like if they're renaming cities, if they're, if they're literally building a fortress and trying to say that it's the remnants of an old temple and people are praying against the wailing wall, which was just the wall of an old fortress. It's not even, you know what I'm saying? You've yeah. got, you've got everybody duped from so many different ways. You know, it's the enemy constantly trying to get us off of what God's word was or any significance to it. I don't know. I don't put it past them, but, um, Ultimately, what it's mentioning in Jubilees 426 is that Mount Sinai is one of the four mountains on the earth that God considers like his places, his mountains, you know, and these are where we see angelic things happening.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. I agree.
0: To me, it would make perfect sense for us to to basically have a, a very poor translation of Jubilees 1411 with that one insertion of that word. And for the apocalypse of Abraham with all of this expounding at Mount Sinai for this event to be happening it make perfect sense to me, but I, I just want the viewer to know that we're trying to treat this fairly. Yeah. So, yeah,
1: absolutely, man. Sean, in apocalypse of Abraham chapter 13, verse three and four, where we see this unclean bird kind of flying down onto the carcasses and Abraham drives it away. Yeah. Um, you know, that parallels perfectly with Genesis 15, 11 and Jubilees 14. Um, 12 right. so you know we we see these it says birds in these other two and then apocalypse of air and says an unclean bird i mean that doesn't really matter right? birds birds flew down but the um, interesting thing here is that azazel the satan character right he's able to take on a form of a bird which is fascinating
0: right yeah he seems to be quite the shapeshifter and enoch and also and um i mean what we see, we see that in enoch the angels are said they can assume many different forms yeah. So, i think
1: Jasher, a, he turns actually, into a, a a lake or a stream or something. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Now, remember, if spiritual beings are made of water and spirit, then turning into a piece of a piece of water, it sounds. I don't. I mean, it sounds fantastical, right? It sounds silly. It sounds like a bad movie, like a bad sci-fi movie. But ultimately, there's clearly angels exhibit a different form of physics and ability within the creation than regular people. And so, um, this is. The great transgression for them to abuse that and to trick mankind you know what i mean Uh, because with i hate to sound like a spider-man but with great responsibility or great power comes great responsibility right so um i mean it's just like these guys are abusing their great power and being irresponsible with it these rebellious angels what i wanted to point out real quick was in verse 8 where azazel is getting reprimanded by joel and he's talking about um therefore the eternal ruler the mighty one has given you a dwelling on earth where's that
1: um sorry <laughs> let me just read that real quick has given you a dwell oh yeah so okay i see where you're going with that yeah well i mean it's just a fascinating concept that i mean we see later on in this chapter that Gels just basically saying that abraham is taking your place right mm-hmm. one day at the resurrection yeah when he's gonna have an immortal body he's gonna be able to kind of ascend those heights whereas you're on the earth right and you're staying here <laughs> so I, I think i know where you're going with with your question there
0: i don't um, know if i'm going anywhere i just wondered if if, if we've ever seen any reference in scripture to the, to satan having a dwelling on earth you know yeah um
1: i guess like generically you would think well he kind of just roams in it you know to and fro over yeah. the earth but yeah. there could be a dwelling place for him and and spiritual entities that he's spiritual in charge of some high place
0: yeah. i don't know Oh, it's interesting um, I just thought that just stood out to me because you know I don't, I don't see that in any other other passage but clearly he's not just continually moving he's probably gonna you know and this is kind of the thing that I think a lot of people kind of because we've been so indoctrinated Kim with movies and people just kind of forget that you know the whole concept of these rebellious angels they're like you You can reach out and grab them like they're they're tangible you know
1: well I mean Jacob did that right he that's wrestled right. With for that's right a time.
0: Now, they do have the ability to apparently pass through walls and and change their form and do that kind of thing because they have this, this higher form of creation as a part of their the nature and the physics of their body. But it seems to be that they still, do they need food? Well, I know that we're going to be
1: eating angels' food at the resurrection, the manna that was That's provided right. to Israel during you know the Exodus. So, so clearly they, they have some normal
0: food. But he's on the earth and he's, you know, he's actually cast out of, uh, in my opinion, he's cast out um, of his dwelling in, above the firmament. Now, he may be able to traverse still just simply because we see that in Job 1 and 2. But I don't think he has an actual home above the firmament anymore. He has to pretty much stay down here. Yeah. You know, so it's just interesting. But way. I mean,
1: Sean, it's just like Satan to do his thing, right? to try to derail us and get us away from anything to do with the father and yeah. living in covenant. And
0: you know, well, how interesting is it? Let's remember Matthew four with the three questions that Satan asked Jesus, right? Yeah. Uh, Satan goes to the wilderness, wherever that wilderness is, it doesn't matter if it's analogy, but he goes to the wilderness and he says, you hungry, make those stones turn into bread. What's the first thing he says to Abram? <laughs> what are you doing on these holy heights, where no one eats or drinks, nor is there any f- upon them food for men? Yeah, true that. Yeah, he's so scared.
1: i saying you're gonna, you're not, you're not gonna be able to eat anything, right? You're gonna starve, buddy. Yeah. You're gonna die in this experience. Get away.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. Um, <laughs> and he, and then he tries to scare him and says, if you ascend to the height, they will destroy you. You know. Yeah. And I just, it's, it's just strange to me. Um, anyway, so. I, I mean, I, I'm trying not to take this too far, but I just see it's the fun little parallels here. Cause you know, the, um, what was it? The, was it the second temptation or the third that he took him to the top of the temple and told him to throw himself down?
1: I think it was the third.
0: And then the second one was he took him to offer him all the kingdoms of the earth. Yeah. 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 It's pretty interesting. I don't know. It's just it, but like you're saying, the enemy is just trying to stop him from having this significant moment with the father. Yeah, where they established covenant, you know, which is, um, uh, we get the seed of promise come from Abraham, you know, which is so amazing. Yeah. Sean, that's so true, man.
1: It is, it is interesting that as Zazel would say, you know, flee like, cause if you ascend to the height, they will destroy you. So it's like, we're almost being shown here what the, what, uh, Yeshua said when he came in the flesh, right? No man has ascended, but he who descended, right. And make a me, right. no man can do that because yeah, you will get destroyed. That's so, right. So, which is interesting because, as we read um, forward in this Apocalypse of Abraham book, he's taken up kind of in, a, in the spirit, right, in a form yeah. where he can ascend, where he's not going to obviously get destroyed by whoever would destroy someone who's trying to ascend. But it's interesting.
0: Yep, it's it's there's a there's a unique parallel there, but I don't know if it plays out all through all three temptations, but it definitely strong overtones of similarity hmm. for sure. Yeah. Um. Especially because they're juxtaposing the angel Joel is reprimanding Azazel and and kind of like contrasting the idea of, well, he's now going to get your portion, right? What did what did um, this, this Satan tempt Jesus with? If you bow down to me, I'll give you all what kingdoms. he owns, the kingdoms yeah. of the world. So, Abraham's being promised all that stuff anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay no awesome. right through this through, through his seed you know through the messiah who comes from his seed but i just think that that's it's fun to look at um do you want me to take off and finish 14 yeah sure all right so chapter 14 says the angel said to me abraham and i said here i am your servant and he said know from this that the eternal one whom you have loved has chosen you be bold and do through do through your authority whatever i ordered you against him who reviles justice Will I not be able to revile him who has scattered about the earth the secrets of heaven, who has taken counsel against the mighty one? Say to him, May you be the firebrand of the furnace of the earth. So go, Azazel, into the untrodden parts of the earth, for your heritage is over those who are with you, with the stars and with the men born by the clouds, whose portion you are. Indeed they exist through your through your being. Enmity is for you, a pious act. Excuse me, Enmity is for you a pious act. Therefore, your own destruction be gone from me and i said and i said the words as the angel had taught me and he said abraham and i said here i am your servant and the angel had angel said to me abraham answer him not and he spoke to me a second time and the angel said now whatever he says to you answer him not lest his will run up to you for the eternal mighty one gave him the gravity and the will answer him not and i did what the angel had commanded me and whatever he said to me about the descent i answered him not
1: that's really interesting, eh? That Jael had to kind of tell him to, you know,
0: rebuke Satan to get away. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Um, and I think what's just, it's just wild because he's talking about you know, um, for your heritage is over those who are with you, with the stars and with the men born by the clouds, um, whose whose portion you are. Right? Mm-hmm. Indeed, they exist through your being. And so what we read back in Enoch, right, when we're studying Enoch, was that Azazel was seeming to be a part of these rebellious angels that came down. Um, but yet it didn't seem like a- Azazel had truly created offspring through his own personal seed, that he didn't take a wife, right? That's right. kind of what we concluded, because he didn't get the same judgment as anybody else. That's right. But his portion of disobedience and rebelliousness clearly lines up with the Nephilim actions and the rebellious stars that came with him, right? The The other watchers that descended and rebelled. But what I think is fascinating is this: is with the men born by the clouds.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's. I was going to point that out to you. I wasn't. I wasn't yeah. Sure, what to comment on <laughs> regarding that phrase?
0: Well, isn't uh, isn't ancient? You know, mythology and the, and the stories of the ancient cultures, the pagan cultures, that you know the the Valhalla. You know, the the gods lived in the sky. Yeah. Oh, okay, <laughs> I see. I'm just just some fun stuff in there. I don't know, because he's telling him he's a part of that portion so that's Hmm. very interesting
1: that is very interesting
0: okay but um i don't know other than that man there's not a lot in this chapter that because he's basically just rebuking azazel
1: yeah he's rebuking him and he's i mean basically you know giles telling azazel you don't have permission to to do this to the righteous right right and then um you know giles like all right abraham you're told to
0: rebuke him tell him get out of here Yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, Now, what I think that, you know, next week when we dive deeper into the actual sacrifice that's happening, and then he's going to actually have the vision, which is that part we read in Genesis where it says he fell asleep, basically. And then terror and darkness came upon him. Um, That's the actual moment where he has, you know, the actual vision. So, folks, we're going to get to that next week um, because we've run out of time for this week. But we've got an amazing introduction here of Abraham being called by the father and angel introduces himself to them and goes on a journey with them to Mount Sinai to do this famous sacrifice. Um, it's all the same sacrifices and implications that we're reading for the inheritances, you know, for, you know, the Messiah who, you know, with all of Israel becomes the inheritance of God that was contrasted against Azazel, who we determined was Satan in our, in our Enoch studies um, is in all of his inheritance was those sons of disobedience, right? Who, like it said, kindled a fire in the earth, that would be Sheol or the pit, if you will. Um, We also learn that that Joel, right, this amazing angel, possibly the restrainer that we read about in the New Testament, he's possibly, and this is Ken's, Ken caught this when we were studying this stuff, but that he's possibly the one that has the keys to open the pit in Revelation 9.1 that lets out Apollyon and those 200 million things that come out with him. And, uh, and and he also
1: restrains Leviathan, which comes out on the day of the uh, Lord too, and lets him go loose. Yeah.
0: yeah so this guy is um, definitely been given some authority. This angel, and you know, it's and that's where I would I would like Ken talked about earlier. I would encourage folks to go check out our Leviathan ep- uh, series. We did like two episodes on Parable of Vinter, and I'll put the um, I'll put the thumbnail pictures up here on the um, uh, on the screen so you guys can reference those. But uh, go check those out because we break down from start to finish in scripture and some apocryphals, all the mentions of Leviathan and how it plays a role on the day of the Lord when Yeshua returns. And it's fascinating. It's truly fascinating. So it would only make sense that somebody like this would be uh, in charge, just like we have Michael, Uriel, Raphael, all these other angels that are in charge of other things. This guy's in charge of some very unique things, you know, in my opinion. So anyway, Ken, is there anything concluding that you'd like to add to it was a fun episode Sean I had a, a great time
1: kind of just going through these extra biblical texts and um you know cross examining them with you know Genesis 15 and yeah fascinating stuff man I think this really makes a lot more sense of what's being talked about in second baruch chapter 4 verse 4 right where where Abram yeah. was able to see paradise among the portions of the victims so hopefully you guys are are kind of catch up with what we're trying to say here based off of our second baruch exposition the last last couple uh episodes we've been doing so it's been fun fun.
0: yeah next week we're actually going to get into those chapters we're going to cover chapters 15 through 21 of the apocalypse of abraham where he actually in this vision the angel shows him heaven the different layers of heaven and he gets to see paradise he gets to see the day of jesus reigning in zion so i think it's it's amazing. It's truly amazing. And it makes sense of so much of the scriptures of why Abraham was so important, um, why Jesus would say, make the statements he did in John 8. So come back next week, guys. We'll have a great time. Um, if you haven't already liked, shared, or subscribed, please do so. Put your comments down below. It helps us. Uh, it helps our video pop up in the side reel for other, other people to find Honor of Kings. And if you haven't shared us on Facebook, we encourage you to do that if you like the show. Um, because, uh, people were getting every week, we get new people that find the show and they just start binge watching. And so I get all the emails from it because they'll start, they'll start binge watching like all the episodes in a row. And then they start asking me questions. So I just get like stacked all these questions coming in from people catching on. But, um, but yeah, we appreciate everyone that watches and supports us both with prayers and, um, and blessings and just your viewership. And we, uh, we, we hope to bring edification to the scriptures by digging into these apocryphal and hidden books if possible. So, Ken, it's good to see you, brother. We'll look to seeing you next week as well. Absolutely, man. And,
1: brothers sisters, have a good one, and we'll see you next week. Bye. See you later.